Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 22, and we're reviewing Great Pretender Part 2. As always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. Before we jump into Great Pretender, we wanted to share a few exciting updates with everyone. Um, So first off, we recently collabed with Weebcast, an anime and manga podcast, um, and had a guest spot where we talked about our most anticipated anime of 2021. Personally, I'm most excited for My Hero, of course, uh, but also Promised Neverland and Rising of Shield Hero were definitely high up on my list. Yeah, my list of upcoming anime that I am looking forward to is pretty similar. A lot of the mainstream anime that are coming out with their season premieres. Um, Some stuff on Netflix in particular that I am looking forward to as well. Um, One of which is The Way of the House Husband, which I know has been generating a lot of hype. As well as Treze, which is based on a Filipino horror crime comic. Um, So that definitely sounds interesting to me. Um, But yeah, overall it was a fun episode to record with C-Dub. And it's always nice to have conversations with other dabblers in anime, especially with someone who is from across the country. Agreed. Yeah, we had a lot of fun chatting with host C-Dub. And it was episode 40 of Weebcast, which is out now. So check it out on all podcast streaming services. And the second piece of news that we're excited to announce is that we will be having a special event centered around Attack on Titan, the final season. We will be doing weekly reviews of each episode on the following Wednesday after each premiere. So the both of us are very much looking forward to the conclusion of this epic saga after its glorious seven-year run. Me especially, since I think, as with most people, this was one of the shows that got me hooked back into anime after having a short hiatus after, after high school. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be really, really bittersweet. Um, I wasn't expecting the show to wrap up after season four. Like when when they concluded season three, I was like, okay, awesome. They there's gonna be more. There's tons more to the story. I, I hear the manga is is continuing on pretty strong, uh, pretty far past where the anime is. And then they announced season four, and they were like, final season. And yeah, that I I was very sad to hear that because I don't want the show to end. I think it has so much it could offer. I mean, the mm-hmm. story has so much going on that I feel like you could probably fit another like two or three seasons out of it. But um, I trust them. I trust that they'll they'll do it justice and, and they'll wrap the story up um, as as respectfully and, and as cleanly as possible. Let's hope. I just get vibes mm-hmm. thinking back to Game of Thrones and I'm like, please, please let's never have a Game of Thrones season eight type of moment again. Yeah, and I mentioned that um, in the Weebcast is that I'm hoping, you know, since the manga is close to its conclusion and the show is reaching its conclusion that um, will both sides of the coin will be satisfied with how the story ends. And it's funny because I remember... After watching season one, there was almost like a two-year wait um, before season two eventually came out, and it was. Was it two years or four years? Is it? See, yeah, yeah, I don't remember because it was so so long ago. Yeah, it felt like an eternity. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's funny looking back because we always saw like memes of people waiting for season two to come out, but they've been churning out the season so rapidly that now we're on to season four, the final season. And you kind of want to take that time back just because of how, how much you enjoy the show. 
but alas, all good things must come to an end. So we'll see how this end goes. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun to talk about the, the show weekly. I think this is such a, a special, um, such an important and, and pivotal anime. Um, I guess not pivotal, but influential. Influential anime. And it's, For sure. It's probably going to be one of the classics of this generation of anime, like without a doubt. So I think it's it's something that we want to um showcase we want to highlight and we're gonna have a lot to talk about so this will be weekly episodes as carl mentioned um after like two days after the the episodes premiere Mm -hmm. um in addition to our regular schedule of of uh, podcast episodes which happen every other monday so look forward to that we'll kind of be doubling up for a couple of months but it's going to be awesome it's going to be a fun ride yeah so look for that in the upcoming weeks so let's move into Great Pretender. Um, as always, before we dive into the synopsis, let's share our our overall thoughts. We've now concluded this, well, this anime or perhaps this season of the anime, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, what, what were your what were your takeaways? What were your feelings now that you've seen the whole story? I really enjoyed this second half. Um, I didn't expect it to be one case that encompasses all nine episodes. And I think this is probably the more serious, more risky of all the four cases that we've been presented with. But I think this case wraps up the season with a definite bang. Um, I think it addressed many questions and loose threads that we had, um, that we had discussed in the our previous um, episode for part one. Um, and I think those loose threads, most of them pay off pretty well. There are a few story choices that I think did not make too much sense or didn't feel necessary. So it's far from a perfect ending. But overall, I really enjoyed this one. And I think this will probably be one of my, probably on like my top 10 anime of all time (laughs) wow that's up there that's that's impressive i i think it was a really good show um i very much enjoy this latter half of the season um i think a a bit more than the first half of the season i do have qualms Mm. i do have gripes with the the way it ended and we'll certainly get into that um but while i enjoyed the first three cases um i thought the the last case was probably the most um, most gripping of all of them. Like that one caught my attention, and it, it held me, um, it held my attention pretty pretty much throughout until we got to like the last couple of episodes, um, where I, I kind of started to taper off. Like it, it started so strong that I just wanted to binge every episode in in the second half, and then I don't know. I think the tipping point was probably or the turning point was probably when they dove into Lauren's backstory. It's like, okay, we're kind of taking a break here. We're, we're kind of going into that. Um, and then we're going to get back into the case. We're going to get back into the action. And we did, but it just didn't hit me the same way. So I think if, if they had stayed on that same course, if they had kept that same energy, that same focus, I think it would have been a phenomenal second half to the season. But because it, it kind of, I don't know, fell off at the end, for me it was a really good second half, but not a fantastic second half. Hmm. So we have a very interesting difference in opinions, <laughs> but I'll, I do agree with the uh, episodes that reflect on Lauren's backstory. It does kind of break up 
um, the flow of uh, the story of the case. Um, but I, I, I get why they had to do it. Uh, it's to give context to what they're trying to do in the present. Um, but yeah, that's interesting because I feel like with every case that we've seen so far, the next one seems to be a step higher, like in terms of intensity. Um, but yeah, that's that's my opinion, I guess. I feel like the yeah the intensity does increase. I, I feel like the stakes don't though. Like when you when you think about it, mm. I, I would say the the biggest stake stakes is that the how you say that? stakes <laughs> um the stakes were the highest basically in the second case um mostly because of abby and and kind of what she was battling with and and um you know basically wanting to die because of what happened in her past um but i think this one had pretty high stakes i mean it did and it addressed it in the beginning and then it stopped addressing it and that's kind of part of the reason why mm. i feel like it fell off but let's jump into it. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the the last couple of episodes. But let's jump into the the synopsis. Yeah. So I know in the previous episode we kind of looked holistically on each case instead of episode by episode. But since this fourth case takes place over the last nine episodes of this of this season, we'll just go episode by episode one more time. So to provide a brief overall synopsis. Great Pretender is an original Japanese crime comedy anime television series produced by Wit Studio, directed by Hiro Kaburagi, and written by Ryota Kosawa. The series' fourth case, Wizard of Far East, began streaming outside of Japan on Netflix on November 25, 2020, and follows Team Confidence as they prepare for their biggest and riskiest heist to date. In case 4-1, after the London case, Edamame returns to Japan and visits his mother's grave making sure to provide her with a recap of the last 14 episodes so that she's all caught up. He tells Team Confidence that he is hanging up his conning gloves for good and confides in San Laurent that he regrets never being able to truly con him. He takes up an honest job at a trading company and gains favor with the CEO, Akemi Suzaku. But of course, Edamame learns that not all is as it seems, as the trading company is a front for the Yakuza's child trafficking ring, and he's being used once again by that blonde bastard, San Laurent, who meets with hunky pilot Clark Ibrahim to take part in Team Confidence's next scheme. I just want to say, so I have a couple things to say about this episode, but the first thing I want to say is that the first shot that we get with this episode is a dog pooping, and you just see the poop plop, and that's like, again, literally the... Of course you would. (laughs) That's literally the first thing you see, and I was like, this is great. This is going to be a great second half of the season. (laughs) And then we see Laurent, well, first we see that he's has this dream sequence of him traveling to i think the northern lights with an unnamed woman who could be the dorothy that was revealed at the end of the last episode but then he snaps out of that dream and you see a shot of him having morning wood (laughs) i was very surprised by that i was like i was watching and and it kind of like caught my eye i'm like oh he's got morning wood and then he didn't have morning wood and i was like okay that's that's another strong way to start the second half of the season. But overall, I, I was I was annoyed because as I've shared many times, I don't like recap episodes. And granted, this is only a very small part of the episode and a quick recap, but I'm like, I I we're in an age of streaming. Like I, I don't need this. I don't want this time wasted on a recap when i already know what happened it hasn't been that long since the first half came out i could always just go back and and watch it again i could google it 
But here we are with a short recap. I, I think the problem for me is that recaps take you out of the immersion. It, it kind of breaks that 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 feeling, that, that um, kind of world that you're in when you're watching a show. And here they, they put it in with Edamora honoring his mother on her death anniversary. And it just made the death anniversary feel so more so so less meaningful um than than it should have i mean he was devastated by her passing and yet here we go just using it as a a plot or not a plot device but a a storytelling device to just have this quick recap and get some of his inner thoughts and then we move on and that's it so it felt i don't know it just felt weird like if we're gonna have a recap at least have it in a different way not like infused with his mother's death anniversary yeah, I would say like the most positive thing about it is that it didn't encompass the whole episode. And I think they, they tried their best with providing a brief recap of what happened. But you know, like you said, we live in a different age now. If this were 10, 15 years ago, this would have been suitable. But yeah, since we've waited, what, a couple months for this second half of the season to arrive, why not just jump into it right away? Yeah. And it's again, it's it's a small part of this episode. And, and overall, I thought it was like a fantastic start to the second half of the season, as I've shared, but mostly because of the child trafficking piece of it. Like when when they revealed that part, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, this is interesting. This I, is real. Yeah, this is real. This is personal for Adamura. And I'm very interested to see what happens next. That paired with the fact that we have a female villain finally or antagonist because right. one of my gripes from the first um, or our previous podcast episode on Great Pretender, um, I shared that I I didn't like that the last three antagonists were all male um, villains, I guess, or males who, who disrespect women and had kind of the same tropes. Um, here we have a, a female villain um, who's in this interesting world where you wouldn't normally expect to have a female kind of running the show, especially when it comes to child trafficking. Normally, I think we would not associate a female with, you know, kind of being the front of something like this because mm-hmm. of, you know, motherly tendencies and, and just the, the connection that women have with with children and all of that. Um, but here we go. Like, I thought this was super interesting. I loved that they had a female antagonist um, for, for this case. Yeah, it gave off like Lucy Lou vibes, like her character in Kill Bill. Yeah. Um, that's who I kept thinking of when, when they introduced, um, what was her name? Suzaku um, as the head of the trading company. Um, one thing I did want to comment on is I feel like Edamame is always searching for an honest job after like he always, I think he, this is like the second or third time he's given up uh, con artistry. But it's funny that when he does find this job, it ends up being more dishonest than the work that he did as a con artist. So I think it's him constantly living in this gray area of like, is he just always going to be stuck in this con artist life? I, I kind of thought the same thing. One of my first thoughts when they revealed this whole child trafficking ring was why doesn't Edamore just whistleblow this whole damn thing? Why isn't he going to the police? Obviously, it's because we have to learn that it's all part of Lauren's big plan to, to kind of get him in there to infiltrate and to, you know, do the con game. And I loved how defeated Edamora sounds like when uh, when he realizes this and he's on the phone, phone with Lauren and he's like, all right, what's the hustle this time? Mm-hmm. But no, I, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, it, it, I just feel bad for the guy. 
it's like as I said in a previous episode, like once once you're out, they just pull you back in. <laughs> so poor Edamame. Moving on in case four dash two, Edamame is stuck with his most difficult job to date. That's right, becoming sous chef for the ten smuggled children in the Yakuzaku holding facility. Shinshia and Shion masquerade as traitors offering to nab an Arabian princess for the crime syndicate. They perform a scripted kidnapping in the UAE for the company manager, Ishigami, starring Clark Ibrahim as the prince and Krabby Abbey as the princess. Lady Yakuzaku likes what she sees and makes a t- 100 million yen offer. Shinshia rejects it and threatens to sell her royal dryness to Shanghai until they settle at 1 billion yen. San Laurent instructs Edamame to free Krabby Abbey from her holding cell to complete the job. They nearly escape using a duplicate key taken from a drunken Ishibaldi, but Edamame decides on the fly to release the smuggled children. They refuse, however, causing the operation to be botched and Krabby Abbey to remain locked up in her cell. Just some trailing thoughts for me from this episode. Um, there are instances throughout the series where we see Edamame doesn't stick to a script, right? This has happened with like very measured success, um, such as when he switches out Abby at the air race and then switching out the Montoya paintings. But it's intriguing that it's not the case here where it has a successful outcome. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, the second thing is the use of English in this episode is very laughable, especially coming from Cynthia. This is another case where the English voice actor doesn't really match the tone of the Japanese voice actor. And it's it takes you out of the moment for a little bit. But what can you do, I guess? Yeah, I agree. It like ripped me right out of the story. I was like, what am I listening to? And don't get me wrong, like fine voice actor, no big deal. And I get you're never going to be able to find a perfect match to someone else's voice. But you're right. The tone or the way that this person portrayed Cynthia was just not on par with the Japanese voice actor. And that was the problem. That's what pulled me out of it, at least, because I'm like, this is not the same person at all. Yeah, I don't even know if it was the actual um, English dub actor for this part, but yeah, there was no no intention to even match their tones, I guess. Um, smaller comments, I like how Edamame was blocking Ishigami from taking photos of Abby. Shows how chivalrous he is. Um, yeah, I think he and he and Abby have really grown close and developed this strong bond, this good friendship, and. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole show, truthfully, is just watching both Abby and Edamura's character development and seeing how they, they kind of grow in parallel, but not really in parallel. Like they grow at their own rates and, and kind of in their own ways, but really they kind of hit the same growth point, which I think was mostly in case two. Um, and, and we kind of see them like their, their paths that they're taking kind of cross at that point, And then they, they, see a little bit of each other in the other person um and, and become much closer than than they were at least initially because she she was pretty mean to him <laughs> yeah i mean they're not like buddy buddy like they're still very blunt towards each other but there's still that that level of respect and and friendship that's budding in between them um two more things anyone notices that abby's playing a wii console in her holding cell so nice shout out to nintendo there and I noticed that there's probably some foreshadowing when Ishigami looks at Edamame's capsule toy, which is of a figure called Masamune, 
um, stating that Masamuni killed his own father. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And mm-hmm. I did note that, at least in my head, when he said that. I was like, hmm, interesting thing to point out. But no, I didn't even put that together till now. Good point. Yeah, we'll see how that comes into play in the next couple episodes. So in case 4-3, Edamame finally reminisces of learning Chinese from his mother and angrily recalls when his father Ozaki was jailed for human trafficking with the very same trading company he currently works for and never returned home to care for them. Back in the present, Lady Yakuzaku requests that Edamame serve as interpreter for her visitors from Shanghai, Liu, Chen, and their interpreter Oz, who were formerly part of the syndicate until they got big heads and apparently big ears. After the meeting goes sour, Edamame realizes that Oz is his father, Ozaki, and clotheslines San Laurent for allowing this to happen. He confronts Ozaki at his hotel room and demands that he redeem himself by helping him save the smuggled children with Krabby Abby and Shinchia. All goes according to plan until they are ambushed by Ishibaldi and his cronies after they were tipped off by, who would have thunk, Ozaki the Great and Powerful. Oh, Wizard of Oz Ozaki. Yeah. <laughs> I, for some reason, I could not commit to memory uh, Edamura's dad's name. But now that you're saying it, I'm like, ah, oh, right. Yeah, Oz and, Ozaki. Okay. Yeah. And the whole case is called Wizard of Far East, which I think was intended to avoid like copyright issues. But obviously, it's Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And Oz and Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, interesting. A lot of, Small Did trivia you there. feel like the one Chinese guy, not the the main boss, but the guy who's his right hand man, looks like a lion, Chen. like the cowardly lion? Oh, I didn't even think of that. I mean, that that could be a stretch. I don't know. Maybe that could be something more towards Chinese culture. But he does look like a lion. Although now that I think about it, Ishigami kind of looks like his face scrunched up, looks like the cowardly cowardly lion too. If you think about it, yeah, I could see that. And he's way more cowardly than yeah than the other guy. All these Easter eggs, I guess. Yeah, I love it. Little attention, little attentions to detail. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. You get what I'm trying to say. Um, so just two quick thoughts on this episode. Edamora, understandably, is pissed at Loran, and yet again, Loran does not care. He's he's pissed that he brought his dad into the picture, and Loran's like okay whatever and and that was a big gripe of mine in the last podcast episode about great pretender is that i find laurent to be problematic because he seems like the type of person who uses everyone as pawns sees them as um, expendable disposable he he doesn't genuinely care about their well-being granted the rules within this con game or this con group are that there's no friends there's no family and they don't kill anybody but on a certain level, you'd want them to care about each other. Mm-hmm. And for example, Abby. Abby seems like the person who would care least about everyone, but she's always ob- observing everybody. She's commenting on, on people's behavior, even Laurent's behavior. Um, she pretends like she hates Edamora, but you know, grows fond of him and, and I think looks out for him in her own kind of cold way. Um but yeah, there, there's just there's like no no care that comes from Loran, and, and that kind of bugs me with him as the ringleader. I think you can kind of see why he doesn't like attachments um, in later episodes of this case, and maybe we'll discuss that when it comes up. Um, but yeah, for where we are right now, Laurent's still a very mysterious figure, and his motives are are questionable at best. 
for me, I feel like there's a difference between not wanting to be attached to somebody and just not caring about them and seeing them as a pawn in the game that you're playing. So I don't know. I, I, I like you said, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more, but that continues to be a problem for me with Loran and, and his character. The other thing I wanted to call out was just, I, I knew it. I knew that at least in this episode, Ozaki would betray everybody. Like it just, you could tell they were kind of building up towards that. Edamora trusted him way too easily when they were talking in the hotel room. I mean, he hated his dad for so many years. He just resented him. And they meet up for the first time in years unexpectedly. And they go to a hotel room and have a quick conversation. And suddenly he trusts him again. No, like I, I called that a mile away that there was going to be that that backstabbing, that two timing. I mean, it's tough because, you know, it's it's family. So your first instinct is always to to trust them. Um, but I kind of noticed that, too, where there is a bond thicker than blood now between Edamura and Ozaki, since now we know that his father is also a con artist. And it's just interesting because when we see the flashback of um, Ozaki with Edamura as a young child, Um, There's a mantra that they always say, like, always be lawful, contribute to the world, be a respectable person. And you don't really see those qualities in his father now that he's revealed himself as the, um, the, I guess, betrayer to Team Confidence. I would think that that statement is what he would have wanted for Edamame to have to avoid the double life that he currently leads. But you can also interpret it in a way... Again, it doesn't seem like that right now because he just blew the whistle on the whole escape operation. But that mantra could also be what he, what Edamura is setting out to do um, as a con artist. So Yeah, I can see that. But I will say that this episode did give me what I asked for, um, where the tables have turned on the schemers. And this is kind of like their Infinity War turning to dust event. Um, so it definitely caught my attention um at the end when Ozaki ratted them out um the miscellaneous things i've noticed there's a lot of cat motifs that pop up in this case one of which is the mention of civet cat coffee beans um i think right before um, edamura realizes who um, ozaki really is and just an observation wouldn't any of the gang's cronies notice Edamura talking to Abby on the security cam um, while she's in her holding cell and just be really suspicious of that. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be, if there's a camera, there's most likely a microphone in that camera mm-hmm. and they could probably hear their conversations. I, I thought that was a little too convenient. Yeah, or even the fact that he keeps going into the room to talk to her. Like, that's, isn't that a warning sign to anybody? But I guess, I guess they were falling asleep at the, at the cams or the, security room last thing is first we had inzi out and now we have second kitchen and the ditz carlton's hotel yeah i like that the ditz carlton <laughs> it was so clever how they try to avoid these copyright issues but moving on case 4-4 edamame krabby abby and shinshia are on a boat being held captive though edamame is asked to prove his loyalty to lady yakuzaku by shooting his partners but Ozaki does the job for him in a big what-the-fuck moment. Enraged and in shock, Edamame returns the favor by shooting his father and starts cozying up to Lady Yakuzaku and becoming her right-hand man. Meanwhile, in Shanghai, Long Years Lu laments about needing a new translator with Ozaki gone, 
and who conveniently shows up but his old pal, Saint Laurent. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Edamame returns home to find his father alive and well and takes us on a journey through Saint Laurent's early life, where he sought revenge on a shady investor for ruining his mother's life until his hidden blade accidentally stabs the very person that we've been trying to learn more about, Dorothy. I immediately noticed in this episode the coffee cup with the cat. And to me, and I think this is what it was supposed to be. No, the cat motif. Yeah, that's the symbolism that Edamora sees her as kind of this mother figure that he's been missing since his mother passed away. Mm. And then he gave her a cat just like his mom. And obviously that that solidified that. It's weird seeing Edamora become the thing he hates most, right? Like child trafficking has a, is a major sore spot for him, uh, both on just like a human level and on a personal level with, with everything with his father. And he's now become part of that. He's part of this this mafia. He is growing close to this woman who is not his mother, but is just a kind of a replacement for, for that hole in his heart. And it, it's weird to see it. And honestly, I, I love this kind of stuff. Like this is very conflicting because Edamore is my favorite character, but here he is doing things that are just terrible. I mean, it all mm-hmm. really started, I think that the snowball effect, the spiral into the toilet effect started with him smoking when he said well i need he told abby when she questioned like why are you smoking he said i need to fit in here like i need to to be part of this otherwise they won't be convinced but it's like this is taken over he's lost everything at this point including his his father who he just started to trust again and, and now he's he just i don't know he's he's melded into this yakuza life and just has thrown away everything he ever believed yeah, a lot happens in this episode for him to descend into that kind of madness. And I agree, like, it's, we do see, like, a cold-hearted side of Edamura that we're not used to. And it was it was kind of upsetting to see him, like, as soon as he saw Cynthia and Abby, like, suddenly executed in front of him. Like, it obviously, it was a punch to the gut. But that was, like, the breaking point where, like, he he had finally lost it all. And then he just kills off his dad because he no longer has that has that bond with him. So being exposed to this side of Edamura's personality was, was kind of grim. One other thing I wanted to note is we see another use of language coming at play again, where I think they were using Chinese for a lot of the scenes in Shanghai with uh, Liu and Chen. Um, another use of language is in Laurent's flashback it's revealed that his mother was dyslexic and we already know that Laurent's pretty multilingual and I think these are just like subtle contexts into how language is going to become a key factor in this scheme um, later on. So in case 4-5 we learn that Ozaki has a history with San Laurent as he was part of the original team confidence headed by Dorsey that was conning the shady investor. They recruit San Laurent for his gambling and multilingual skills and travel across the globe from Brazil to Italy to Australia on a conning spree. San Laurent falls in love with Dorsey the whole way through and proposes to her in Finland amidst the Northern Lights, the location of his dream from the earlier episode. The gang decides on one last job before disbanding, which pretty much parallels the current scheme, taking down Shanghai's human trafficking ring by getting San Laurent to be interpreter for Long Years Lou and having Dorsey pose as their target an Ethiopian princess under amnesty in Kyoto. 
And if I can say here, the one last job plot device was very telling. It's kind of similar to all those Red Dead Redemption 2 memes where Arthur Morgan's always looped into like one last job, one last job. But here it's it's almost like apparent that this is where Dorothy had met her demise and how Ozaki had gotten caught up in scandal. Yeah, it's like famous last words, mm-hmm. right? Oh, we're going to have one last job and... Then we're done. We're out of it forever. We're going to live the good life. And yeah, look at what happened. Yeah, now all that's left with Dorothy is a ring. But we'll learn more about that right now. In case 4-6, Long Years Lou agrees to buy the Ethiopian princess for $10 million after the seller, Shion, threatens to go to Lady Suzaku instead. Dorothy is fake kidnapped and expected to break out the next day. But San Laurent did not count on being ratted out by a newspaper whose headline announces the arrival in Shanghai of the real Ethiopian royal family. Before he has the chance to rescue her, Dorsey is handcuffed and taken out to sea, much in the same situation as Shinchia and Krabby Abbey, and Long Ears Lou presses her for the location of the stolen money. Ozaki intervenes via phone call to impart the info, but Long Ears Lou has Dorsey killed anyway, leaving Ozaki framed for the trafficking scandal and a distraught and depressed San Laurent holding on to Dorsey's lucky ring necklace. Once Shion pulls him back into the game, however, San Laurent begins recruiting for Team Confidence 2.0, and Ozaki plays the long con game by serving his prison sentence, becoming Long Ears Lu's new interpreter, and having Kudo groom Edamame for con artistry, which intertwines us with the events of the pilot. So here's what I'll say about Laurent's backstory altogether. I think his backstory is okay. I think it makes him feel more human because he's a pretty cold guy. And as I said earlier, he doesn't seem to care very much about other people. And I think what falls flat for me with his backstory is the lack of chemistry between him and, and Dorothy. It's one thing to show us and make us believe that there's love and that there's chemistry. It's another thing to tell us. And I felt like this retelling of his backstory was was them telling us that you know they they're soulmates and that they're meant to be don't get me wrong i very much am convinced that loran adores and loves dorothy wholeheartedly but it feels one-sided and Mm -hmm. i i I don't mean that because she's a very free spirit she's very fun loving or she's she's a fun loving person i like dorothy i like her personality i think she's got spunk she kind of has this bright spot that we haven't really seen from any other characters in the show. Like Cynthia sometimes will have those moments, but Dorothy is like this bright personality that we haven't really gotten yet. But I, I don't, I'm not convinced that she loves Laurent. Like I, I think she cares about him. I think she enjoys being with him, but I'm not convinced that it's love, especially when um, she's about to be shot and killed. And all she says to him, like she tries to save him, you know, just save herself. Don't worry about me. And all she says is it's been fun. And then she's shot and gone for seemingly ever. And I just, that, it just left a sour taste in my mouth. At the very least, give him something. Like he, he adored you and wanted to spend the rest of his life with you, despite you trying to kind of put him off, at least in the beginning. And I felt bad for, for Laurent in that moment, obviously because his fiance got killed, but also because he, he didn't get anything from her in those last moments. Yeah, I think the disadvantage to Dorothy here is that she doesn't get enough screen time as a lot of the other characters where we've seen them um, develop their relationships with each other and with Laurent. Um, Because I feel like at this point, 
like Cynthia has a lot more chemistry with Laurent than Dorothy does. Or Edamora and Abby have more chemistry yeah. with each other and they don't I don't I don't think that they're setting them up to be a couple. I think they're just friends. But yeah, the, it's a very good point. Like I actually thought uh towards the end of the first half when Laurent and Cynthia are talking on the beach. I think it may have been the last episode of the, of the last half. Mm-hmm. But they're talking on the beach and they're kind of, you know, they've got these these quips. They're going back and forth with each other. And I thought that they were kind of setting them up to be a couple. And you know, I think even before that, I, I kind of thought that they were hinting at them being a couple. But they, yeah, they had way more chemistry. And Edamora and Abby had way more chemistry than, than Lauren and Dorothy. Yeah, so I guess here it's like we're, we're spoon-fed um, that there is this budding romance. But I, I also agree it, it felt very one-sided where Dorothy didn't even think of falling in love with anyone until like she until like not not that he forced himself on her but until she started to see good qualities in him and maybe if this flashback were more stretched out throughout this case instead of being fed to us like right away in these flashback episodes it would have been more accepting but the other thing that i found questionable about dorothy is her strong adherence to the rules of the con game like you said she all she says at the end to lauren was like this was fun but she also was telling him like not to break his act right but like why would you want to risk your life for something as superfluous as like money i took it as she was telling him not to break the act as a way to protect him like if Mm. if you break character right now they're going to know that we're in on this together and you're going to die with me I, so I, I took it as she's trying to save him. And I was like, oh, great. Like, she, she cares about him. And then she's like, it's been fun. And then she dies. And then I was really sad because Laurent's obviously devastated, has been for for years up until current day in the show. And that's all he got from her. Yeah, I can see that. The, the other thing I saw was like she wanted Laurent to finish the job in order to save the victims of this human trafficking scheme. Um Hence why I think he instructed Ozaki at the end to come up with a plan that would please Dorothy. But what I also question there is like, is this whole scheme more for Laurent's own personal gain or is it for that virtuous aspect of, of saving these victims? Um, I don't, I didn't get the impression that Dorothy or Laurent cared about the, the kids. Like mm. I, I know that they only go after bad people and they never kill anybody. They never like physically really try to hurt anybody. But I would say that Edamora cared more about rescuing the children mm. than Lauren and Dorothy did. I think it was just a kind of an unfortunate side effect of this particular con game or, or con scheme. But I don't. I didn't get the impression that they really were focused on that. I I felt like if what you're saying is is kind of what they were building up towards that she wanted him to finish the job she was so focused on the con thing i think she wanted it to be like a complete con scheme this is the biggest one we got to make it happen we got to get this money and on the same side of that lauren also kind of being like make it a scheme that she'd be proud of meaning like dollar wise and just how grand the scheme is that's what he was focused on from the impressions i got okay that that makes sense and i guess that's where also like lauren's character falls flat because he Maybe he doesn't really care about other people and just wants his own thing out of it. I mean, when Edamora wants to go and save the kids in one of the earlier episodes, Lauren's like, we don't have time for that, mm-hmm. basically. And Edamora's like, 
too bad. I'm, I'm going to go save them. And, and Abby runs with him. Abby's not very vocal, I think, about the things that she cares about. But I would say I felt more care from her than from Laurent because when they realize the children won't go with them, Abby kind of meets back up at Edamora and she has this very disappointed look on her face. Like she genuinely tried to get them to come with and she's sad that they won't. Didn't get anything like that from from Lauren, which again is why I find him so pro- problematic, or why he's still a dick. <laughs> yeah, basically. The only other thing from this episode that I took note of is uh, towards the end, the opening theme plays over the I guess team confidence 2.0 recruiting montage, and they've done this in past episodes where they'll play the theme at very key points in the story or like a very climactic point. But I noticed here it's an extended version of the theme where parts that we haven't heard before. And I think musically this is implying that this final scheme is very different in that it's like the most elaborate and the challenging one for the gang. So for you music aficionados out there, I just wanted to point that out if if anyone noticed that, that thematically. I loved seeing how Laurent recruited everybody. Because we, we got their backstories. We kind of understand their place in the current con game. But what happened in between? How did they get roped into it? Especially because the way that Loran roped in Edamura was super elaborate. And, and I think way over the top, he probably could have just asked the kid if you wanted to join. I mean, obviously, that, that wouldn't be fun. That wouldn't that probably wouldn't convince him. But it was so elaborate getting Edamura to join. It was fun seeing how he also got everyone else to join. Although I think Abby's was kind of boring. Yeah. And I think the other um, scenes, like they mention where he recruited them, but I don't know if they mentioned it for Abby, but I looked it up later that she was in Brooklyn when that happened. So Oh, that's where she was. Okay. Yeah. But going back to the, the music, the theme is really growing on me. It feels almost like as iconic as Tank from Cowboy Bebop at this point. It has that feel. A lot of mm-hmm. the show has that bebop feel to it. At least it did in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so this one is definitely going on my anime Spotify playlist. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, the chase scene with Shion in Korea was weird, especially with the th- uh, the 3D buildings. We've mentioned this before. Whenever 3D is incorporated into an anime, it is always mostly jarring. And that's the same case here. It just looks like a very cheap 2000s show when they had to include 3D buildings in the chase scene. And last thing, the credits that we've looked at for however many episodes now, the cat swimming in the water was a huge spoiler this whole time because that is Dorothy's fate. Yeah, anime does have a a way of subtly spoiling the entire plot in the opening and the ending and this was no exception yep moving on to case 4-7 back in present day Krabby Abby and Shinshia are revealed to have survived the boat execution along with Ozaki while Long Ears Lou asks San Laurent to fill in as interpreter for an upcoming negotiation with Lady Yakuzaku Ozaki tries explaining to Edamame that he abandoned their family out of their safety but Edamame won't have a word of it and later on accepts a necktie gift from Lady Yakuzaku, implying that she looks on him fondly as a surrogate son. During the negotiation via Zoom call, Edamame and San Laurent purposely get lost in translation with their respective bosses, leaving 100 billion yen and stock certificates on the line. 
Both sides prepare to meet in Lady Yakuzaku's Tokyo office, but not before she outfits her chair with a hidden katana and Long Ears Lou fashions a ring with a poison needle as ways to assassinate their counterparts. Meanwhile, Team Confidence has some R&R at a hot springs resort in Hakone before the next day's Yakuzaku vs. Long Ears Lou title match, and Laurent has a vision of Dorsey to encourage him about the success of the plan. I knew it. I knew the girls didn't die. It was so obvious because they got shot, they fell into the water, and there was nothing else. There was no image of them kind of falling down to the bottom of the ocean or wherever they were. And I, I'm I'm kind of bored by that. I'm bored by it because they've done this fake killing thing multiple times in the show. Why keep using the same trope? Especially when it, it has such a, a powerful, it's a powerful moment when a character that you've grown to love gets mm-hmm. killed in such a, a sad way. And it's a, it's a fake out. Like the first couple of fake outs, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's part of the con game. And then here they go faking again for another con game and a con scheme. And I'm like, I don't know, man. It just, it felt super lazy, super repetitive that yet again, we saw some fake killings. It would have been fine if maybe we saw it once in the beginning and then again here at the end, but I don't know, multiple iterations of it really kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. Here we see again that team confidence is one step ahead of the game. And this kind of refutes my earlier expectation of, where they, the team reaches a breaking point that they can't get past. Um, so that was kind of a letdown that, again, it, it's nice that they always had the advantage, but you know, like you said, it, it's kind of a repetitive, um, repetitive theme now in the series. One odd thing with this episode was there was a scene where Lou suddenly changes from speaking in Chinese to quote-unquote English, which is... Um, Actually, like the Japanese voice acting. Um, I don't really understand the purpose of it. But again, I, as I mentioned before, language becomes a strong factor in this episode because Edamame and Laurent are purposely mistranslating what the other boss is saying. Um, so that was an interesting aspect of, of this episode. I agree. I, I thought to myself, why did they need to to add that in there? The only purpose I found that it served was to take some of the the screen time away in Chinese and give more screen time to Japanese. Because as you said, they, they were speaking quote unquote English, but they were doing it through Japanese. And I thought that they were building up to something like, oh, this is hinting that Liu is learning other languages and he's going to catch on that, you know, maybe not not all of the translations are accurate, but sorry to spoil a little bit ahead of time. That doesn't happen. So to me, it was just, why, why do I need to, why does this need to be added at this point in the show? Yeah, I think it's it's going for that loss in translation feel. Um, but yeah. Two other things. Um, Edamame poses an interesting question to Ozaki. And that was avenging Dorothy more important than the well-being of Ozaki's family? And was he taking it personally by trying to make things right out of his scheme getting so fucked up? Right, Because I think Ozaki was the one who put together the grand scheme of kidnapping uh, the Ethiopian princess and then it falls apart at the end. Yeah, I, I liked this part, this exchange between Ozaki and Edamura because you typically will have the person who who betrayed 
you know, the, the main character will explain their reasoning for doing it. And it's a very honest and very respectable reason, in this case, protecting his wife and son from the Chinese mafia. And that'll be the turning point. That'll be, that's when the, the, the switch is flipped in the main character's head to say, oh shit, the, there was more to this. I misunderstood it. I, I need to kind of open my my mind to this and, and try to accept the reason that they did this. But Edamora doesn't. He says mm-hmm. that's still not a good enough reason to abandon his own family. I think implying that they could have together found a way to overcome it. Um, and, and being together is more important than, I guess, staying safe, which is kind of odd to say. But I, I really liked that. I was not expecting that. I figured Edamora would be like, he would have that oh shit moment and you know start to, to trust his father and, and try to, to see eye to eye with him but that's not the way they went and i really enjoyed that yeah like edamame is growing increasingly cynical of this whole con game as this case goes on and we'll see it reach a boiling point um in the penultimate episode last thing about this episode though is there's another cat motif where the necktie gift for edamura that he receives from suzaku i think has an image of a cat on it almost like yoshikage kiro from Jojo Part 4. It did remind me of Akira Tai. Yeah, except less sinister looking, I guess. In case 4-8, it's the big day. We see Laurent and Edamame gearing up for the big day, and the latter is shown picking up a capsule toy of a Sengoku warlord. The meeting happens late at night in Lady Yakuzaku's office as Shanghai presents a briefcase of stock certificates and Tokyo presents a check for 100 billion yen. Before the deal is sealed, Team Confidence busts in, disguised as a SWAT team, and confiscates the assets as evidence. Meanwhile, Saint Laurent exacts his revenge on Long Years Lou by stabbing him with the poisoned ring. Lady Yakuzaku suspects foul play, and Edamame comes to her defense by unsheathing the hidden katana. A second ambush team appears to apprehend Team Confidence, and fucking wannabe Weinstein Eddie Cosano shows up to oversee their demise. Edamame reveals that he intended to humiliate Saint Laurent and Team Confidence for constantly exploiting him and to exact revenge on Ozaki for abandoning him and his mother. Before he can act, however, Ozaki takes the katana and slices and dices his son, prompting, prompting a firefight to ensue. Lady Yakuzaku and Long Years Lou's respective entourages escape from the chaos until it suddenly subsides. They re-enter the office to find it completely empty. After pulling a lever on the wall, however, the room is lowered to the ground floor, revealing that they were in a fake building on a remote island that clearly hasn't been up to code as it collapses to pieces at the sound of a sneeze from Long Ears Lou. This episode left me wondering, what the fuck is happening? What is going on? <laughs> I enjoyed it. All I thought, the scheming. Yeah, I, I, I was taken by surprise. Um, but I I think I was taken by surprise in, in not the greatest of ways. So let me let me explain by what I mean. So we we have this this exchange between Edamora and his father again, and it's pretty heated. And Edamora is is questioning him and, and questioning the, this this whole group, this whole thing that he's been roped into. And he says that his mom lies alone in her grave while everyone is avenging Dorothy. Why is nobody paying the same respect to his mother, given everything that she's been through, everything that Ozaki put her through? Um, and I think this is Laurent pushing him too far again, without showing any remorse or any care for his well-being. He used him as a pawn, pushed him too far, used different, you know, pieces of his past that in a way that, that really just set him over the edge. And and now he snapped, he's had enough. Um, it was interesting when, when Ozaki 
sliced Edamura, you get that image of the tie like flying away. I think kind of maybe symbolizing mm. that Ozaki is freeing his son maybe from from this this hole that he's buried himself in. I don't know. It was just it, it seemed like it was some sort of symbolism to me. Um, but the problem that I have with all of this is that we at the very end, it's it seems like this is just another big scheme. And I'll 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 dive into it more when we talk about the the last episode. But I kind of had like this, oh, what's going on? This is really funny. But then as it set in, going from such a serious, serious moment, a pivotal moment for Edamura and for, for the group in general to this like silly the silliness of an empty room and like a fake building and a, and a deserted island. I was like, this is this is a lot. Like this is a lot for me to process. These are a lot of emotions, kind of a roller coaster to go through as as a viewer. And part of it seemed way too far fetched, even for this show. Yeah, a lot of different things were going on at that in that ending. And to as a callback to the first episode of the second half. Edmame does follow through on his one regret, which is besting Laurent, the blonde bastard. But once we see the ending unfold and that they're all on this remote island, again, it's showing that Team Confidence is in control of the events going on. And yeah, it's weird to see Edmame go, like to see him snap and then for us to see that this was all just a ploy. But part of me thinks that the team, or like Laurent knows that Edamame is like an emotional guy when it comes to these schemes, which would put him in the perfect position to be this this character that questions the people that he's worked with for so long. Um, that's kind of how I interpreted it. And maybe we can discuss this more uh, with the final episode. But yeah, that was my thought process behind why having this intense moment needed to happen in order for the scheme to work properly. And in case 4-9, it's the big day, again. But not before we see the Shanghai and Tokyo entourages try to adjust to life on a remote island, and one more flashback of Edamame with his mother and her hope of reuniting with Ozaki again. We see the day unfold from Edamami's point of view as Abby visits him with some cryptic advice. Who you deceive or betray is totally up to you. Just forgive yourself. Edamami calls wannabe Weinstein, who apparently has entered a business partnership with Samnarefu and the Penguin Paint Patron, and asks for his help in the scheme. It is revealed that Edamami and San Laurent drugged Lady Yakuzaku and Long Years Lu, respectively, in order to fly them to a remote island containing a replica of Lady Yakuzaku's office. San Laurent also replaces the poison needle in Long Ears Lu's ring with an ordinary one as a final courtesy. During last episode's firefight, the entire room is shown pretending to be caught in the frenzy, Edamame comes back to life, and the team makes off with the loot and parties the night away. Laurent has a titanic ending moment where he throws Dorsey's ring into the sea as a sign of closure. In a Where Are They Now epilogue, Ozaki visits his wife's grave, Shion and Kudo get Liddy in Korea, Shinshia mentors a young boy on his future, Krabby Abby goes rock climbing, Edamame goes on a millennial coffee trip, and San Laurent prepares for his next target, stealing the Declaration of Indi- Wait, excuse me. Conning the newly elected president of the United States, Razzie of Razzie Rising fame. How relevant. 
Finally, in a post-credit scene that no one asked for, we see that Dorsey, aka Zhang Zhang, is alive with amnesia somewhere near Taiwan, and happens to find her ring inside the stomach of a fish her caretakers caught. Will she return in the next Avengers movie? The world may never know. Okay, so let me tie let me let me tie this back to what I was saying about the previous episode. We get all like this big reveal that the whole thing was planned. Everything made sense. You know, the the scheme worked out perfectly. Blah blah blah. The the biggest gripe again that I have with this is that they manipulated Edamora so much in this last case. They manipulated him into killing his own father, having a mental breakdown and crying his eyes out, thinking that he lost his his two friends, siding with the antagonist and even becoming something that he hated by helping with the child trafficking rink. And then it's all suddenly forgotten and forgiven, especially again, given the years of resentment and hate that he had toward his toward his father, that's all suddenly gone and never really addressed or given any kind of closure. So it, it felt like everything that he said in this previous episode where he was ranting and, and saying like everyone cares about Dorothy, but nobody cares about my mother and, and the fact that she passed away. Um, it just felt like his entire rant, all those emotions that he spilled out was just a big lie. And it left an impression, it left an impression on me for his character that, you know, I, I thought that I was understanding his growth and his his character development and it wasn't at all what I thought it was, which is a theme in the show. I get it. But it left me feeling very empty knowing that he didn't actually feel the same way in that moment that I did as a viewer watching him go through that breakdown and, and spill all these emotions like, oh, OK, what was all that then? Yeah, I feel like we don't know Edamura as much as we think we know. And maybe that's like the overarching theme is like we know Edamora as a con artist, but we're not we're only seeing one part of one part of him. But those right. emotions were real. They were Or were they? <laughs> I would think so because he didn't actually know his father, you know, what his father's actual actions or intentions were. And that, you know, as they revealed in this episode, that his mom even knew about all of it. And that's kind of why she would say things like you know, maybe he's still a good person or maybe there's a reason he did what he did. Um, it just, it was weird. I don't know. It, it, it left me very conflicted and also brings up the point that why didn't, why didn't Edamora's mom just tell him the truth about everything instead of letting him hate his father for so many years? Maybe she's a con artist too. Yeah, That's a fake grave. Um, but I think secretly, maybe secretly Edamora accepted the reasons for again why his father left and why he's he's part of this scheme but he just put on this poker face so that no one would really catch his bluff maybe he's like he's um getting this inspiration from abby because you can't read her face at all but i'm just making up an interpretation right now of of why why the why the about face for edamora another big gripe i think it's not the biggest the the one i previously shared i think is my biggest gripe but this is also um kind of frustrating for me it's like what happened to the whole child trafficking thing towards the end mm. as i mentioned in the beginning of this podcast episode i felt the turning point where things kind of spiraled out of control um for this last case was after they tied up um Laurent's backstory they they had that break in the in, in the main story, gave us this this backstory for Laurent, and then got back into it, and it just like did not feel like the same case at all. 
the child trafficking thing, that is very impactful, especially for an anime like this that has a very good balance of drama, action, and humor. To, to take on child trafficking and do it in a way that, that really resonates with you as a viewer because you've taken the time to get to know Edamora and you, you, you really like him as a character and you know what this means to him and what the impact is. It just it felt like they completely dismissed that. Like they just brushed that aside and replaced it with Laurent's story. And I was kind of bummed by that. And at the end, they, they gave it a conclusion by saying, yeah, we adopted all of the children and we're taking care of them and helping them get their their futures in line, which I think that was the case with Cynthia. They were showing her with one of the children, I think. It wasn't very clear, but I, that's mm. what I'm assuming. But that doesn't feel satisfying. That does not feel satisfying, especially when they laid it on thick in the beginning of this case, showing us how upset the children were. And they, they didn't even feel like they wanted to escape because they had nowhere to go, no one who loved them, no one who cared about them. And Edamora felt for them so strongly that he was willing to risk his life to save them. It's just like there were, there were so many great themes, so many great emotions that they just like threw away with these last couple of uh, last couple of episodes. Yeah, I can see that. I I feel like at this point in the story, the writers probably just wanted to go with the spectacle of this grand elaborate scheme coming to an epic close rather than addressing the human issue at hand. I don't necessarily mind though that this the scheme wrapped up nicely that it all I guess whether or not it went according to plan it all panned out positively for Laurent he got what he wanted he was able to to get that closure have you know justice for for Dorothy although I did feel like the the whole scheme was a bit weak it just felt like a the same as the other schemes like we're just getting money out of this and then we leave the bad guys in kind of a tough situation but I mean the other ones got arrested at the very least get Lou arrested like, I would have expected that, but, They're you know. just on a deserted island. Yeah, they're on a deserted island. I guess that's probably the same as being arrested when you have to be stuck there with three other people that you hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that it wrapped up nicely. I'm glad that he got his closure. He was able to, to you know, kind of close out his story. But to one of your points from our previous podcast episode on Great Pretender, you had mentioned that th- there seems to be no real conflict for this group and their schemes there's what is seemingly conflict but then it's revealed that they actually had a plan all along and nothing ever goes wrong and it's the same thing here Edamora was supposed to be the one that goes rogue was supposed to be that conflict was supposed to be the thing that went wrong but it it wasn't even that I would have preferred that that was a real situation and then we see how the group overcame it how Laurent uses his quick his quick thinking his very clever ways of maneuvering through these situations to fix things after Edamora kind of fucks it up. But apparently it was all just according to the plan. And the all part of the plan. Yeah, the only real conflict that we get with any of these schemes is Dorothy's scheme because the unexpected newspaper article sent shit right down the toilet and then she got shot and seemingly killed. So... I think kind of to what you said last episode, it was every single one of their cases panned out exactly as they wanted with no real conflict. And to kind of capitalize on that conflict theme, I thought it was really weird that the victims of those previous scams were included back in this plot. Yeah, what the hell? That was so weird. 
Yeah, and maybe this is trying to show that Adamame was trying to, as Abby had suggested, forgive himself in order to like reconcile with his past grievances. And maybe this is also showing that it's not so easy to take down like these these titans of industry, because as much as you've siphoned off their millions and profits, like they can easily bounce back. But yeah, that was probably the strangest part of this is like when we see Eddie Casano just randomly show up, and it, it it makes sense like within the scheme why he would want to stop team confidence but then to find out that he's in on it too and i guess the three uh, the three victims actually make a profit off of this by betting on the odds of the success of the plan but yeah i don't know part of it i feel like part of it just refutes the virtue virtuousness of why team confidence plotted the earlier three schemes i completely agree the whole feeling that they established was this was kind of like a robin hood thing right Mm -hmm. so cynthia's friend um what was her name again chris yeah chris so we see that that moment where cynthia scams the one guy and and gives money to to chris because she's helping someone she cares about she's getting back with this the shitty person or whatever and and i don't know for for Laurent to just make amends with the people that he scammed, it felt so weird in so many ways. So I get that they're they're trying to say that Laurent used these last three cases as a way to train his team for the big one, for case four. Mm-hmm. And that maybe he felt bad that he had to scam these guys um, and kind of ruin their lives. So he was happy to at least make amends with them. But the problem is they were genuinely shitty people. They were terrible people, and and this was the consequence, I think, of of their shitty actions. But then it's like, now I'm conflicted because they're they're shitty people, but now you're on the same side as them, and everyone's just buddy buddy, and they're forgiven. And have they really suffered any consequences? Because they're really seeming to enjoy their life right now, being on this you know lavish boat with tons of money still. Apparently, it just mm-hmm. I don't know. It it felt like it kind of undid some of the stuff that we saw in the beginning of the show. Yeah, like I said, I don't know if if it's pushing that. Um, these are just billionaires; like they'll always find a way out of out of their predicaments. But yeah, I, I'd say that was one thing about this ending that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. But when Laurent says at the end, "You must be dying of boredom by now," to whomever is on the other end of his phone call, I think they're setting up a season two. Yeah, seems like it because they gave everyone very, very short endings with, again, not a lot of closure. Like they just kind of like rapid fired. Here's what everyone's doing, and that's it. So I, and plus with the reveal of Dorothy at the very end, I'm, I'm like 99% sure they're gonna have a season two, which I would watch. I, I think it'd be fun. I hope mm-hmm. that they don't, um, kind of fall into some of the the pitfalls that they had with this first season. But I'm certainly not turned off by the show, even though I, I do have these pretty major gripes. I think that if, if they can overcome that with the next season, it could be something that's that's pretty amazing. I'm just curious, like, what other schemes are they going to have that could be bigger than conning the president of the United States? Because I'm sure, like, that's going to take up one arc of the season. Like, what's going to be next? Like, are they going to con the Vatican <laughs> or the Illuminati? Are they gonna try to con God himself? Like, I think I, I could see them making it the entire season. 
I mean, that that's if they can make it elaborate enough and and interesting enough, it could be the entire season. On the flip side, I would have been perfectly fine if it was just one season, if it was mm-hmm. just these 23 episodes and maybe um, shorten Laurent's backstory to like one episode and use that extra episode to extend this, you know, where are they now piece. Um, I would have been perfectly fine with that. I think they could have wrapped things up in one season and not kind of had this, oh, by the way, Dorothy's still alive piece. Um, that's going to be huge. I, I, I'm very interested, interested to see how they tackle that because with the amnesia, you can tell she still has some memories floating around because she tells these, these this couple that, that's taking care of her about some of these weird situations that she's been in, but they just play it off like it's part of her amnesia. But I think it's her recalling bits and pieces of some of the, the scams that she's run before. Although I kind of hope that she doesn't come into play. Like she's not a major part of the next season because if Laurent's whole story is about him finding closure with her death and then she just suddenly shows up in his life again, that kind of defeats the purpose of what this final scheme was all about. I agree completely. And like, where do you go from there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even process that? One thing I, I thought was weird is that at the very end, the very, very last shot is her looking up at the ring. And I think she says something in Japanese, even though she's speaking Chinese to the couple. And if if that's the case, if I'm correct, I'll have to go back and watch it. But if I'm correct, that makes me wonder, does that mean that she's faking it and that she actually does have her memories because she can speak Japanese slash English slash whatever technical language she's speaking that's not Chinese or is that just another moment where this is coming um, back into her brain and it's like bits and pieces of this other language that she's she's able to speak you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time articulating it but I'm wondering if if she's faking it and that was a, a small hint at that or if that was just another moment of her recalling some things that are floating around in her head amid, amid the the amnesia Maybe she becomes the hidden villain of season two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that God, would be, I hope not. <laughs> that would be really, really weird. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Mm. But I think with this show as a whole, I, I think you need to to be able to dismiss some level of realism and, and some level of believability to really be fully invested, especially with the latter half of this last case. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of like, moments where you sit there and you're like this is this is not real this is not believable this would never happen um i i would like to see them air more on the believable side the more realistic side with the next season but i could still very much enjoy it if i just set that realism aside yeah i think definitely for this anime you kind of have to take things as they are and me i'm like a huge sucker for scheming (laughs) And so seeing this final episode explain what happened in the climactic negotiation scene was just so satisfying. And yeah, like you said, you kind of have to just throw realism out the window and enjoy it for the spectacle. <laughs> it's a fun ride. It's it's a fun ride. It's It's got great characters with very, very different personalities kind of all forced together and and having to to work together for basically a a huge chunk of change. Um, And I like the variety in the cases. I I do enjoy that. 
I think that they they gave us enough variety where each case felt fresh, felt new, felt different. Um, and I think this next case, again, if there is a season two, this next case was scamming the the new president of the United States or a presidential candidate. That's that's incredibly unexpected. I think of all these, that's super unexpected. That that is a tall order. That's a big one to to go down. And one question that I had, which is kind of similar to the question I had for when we reviewed Trigun, is should we consider this as a gateway anime that nearly reaches the heights of Cowboy Bebop, or at the very least, consider this as the most definitive anime for Netflix to date? Um, No to the first point. I don't think it lives up to the the level of cowboy bebop or even trigun but possibly to your second point um it's it's different from my knowledge of anime in general this is a different type of plot a new kind of area a new a new territory that they're they're tapping into so it it could very much be that it's it's very international i mean we've got some anime that are that can be pretty international first and foremost jojo stardust crusaders is super international but jojo overall is is pretty international um but this show is like in your face like that that is a a huge part of the show is how diverse and how international it is um and i enjoyed that and and i'd like to see anime tap into some other cultures um more frequently I think that was what I was trying to get at with it being a suitable gateway anime because it has like this international cast of characters and a plot that I think people of any sort of culture can can cling to because this is just basically like a, a bank, not a bank heist, but something like a heist film um, that it's probably one of the, e- like an easy anime for any newcomer to just gravitate towards and and enjoy it again for what it is and to my second question i think it's definitely one of the better shows out of netflix's anime lineup so far although like we've only watched carol and tuesday and haven't really dabbled into uh, castlevania but i think this is a lot more accessible than than those other two and who knows this could hopefully set a precedent for any other anime coming out that are produced by netflix i love the fact that they they include different languages in the show um by having other voice actors that actually speak those languages i just hope that they continue to refine that because as you mentioned it, it breaks that immersion pretty hard so if they can find a way if they can find that sweet spot of of infusing other languages without kind of making it just like so awkward and so strange um then yeah this could be this could be big for for anime Mm -hmm. and my last question as a nod to the ending song is laurent as the ringleader of team confidence the eponymous great pretender i think so I would say so. I think the ending is hinting at that because the ending is all about him. <laughs> yeah, because I wrote the lyrics down here. I'm not going to sing the song for anybody, but some key lyrics that I wanted to pull out. Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender, pretending I'm doing well. My need is such. I pretend too much. I'm lonely, but no one can tell. And I feel like that is capturing the backstory that we saw with Laurent because like, he's lost Dorothy after their one last job 
and like he doesn't like he's trying to reconcile with that um and then the final lyric of the song i'm wearing my heart like a crown pretending that you're still around like i think i think what the writers are trying to do is like for this show it's taking the lyrics of this song and then just giving it new meaning he embodies it he embodies the song i mean we get those those shots where he sees or imagines dorothy with him because he just misses her so much and yeah i think that makes perfect sense yeah i'm also very glad that he didn't die i was expecting him to die like part of me felt like they were setting it up for like this this big loran death um Mm -hmm. because he's got closure and he just wants to be with dorothy or something like that but nobody died i'm glad nobody died i liked all the characters so i'm happy everyone's still around yeah and fingers crossed they still keep this as the ending song yeah they should like what else are they gonna use like the show's called great pretender and you have this amazing rendition by freddie mercury like just please keep it netflix (laughs) so closing thoughts what would you rate this anime out of 10 capsule toys um i would give it 7.5 out of 10 because it has such great potential it has so many amazing moments with some really fun and endearing characters i love edamora and i love abby when they started to really give her some good character development um but my gripes are pretty big gripes i think kind of what I shared, like you, you can probably feel my frustration with some of the, the choices that they made, especially towards the end of the, the show with the final case um, that just really, just they, they don't sit well with me and I think could have been easily avoided, but, you know, made it into the show. So I would say 7.5, um, but I'm hoping that with, you know, if they have future seasons, that that could easily go up to an eight, possibly even a nine. What about you? Yeah, that, that's a that's a fair assessment. For me, I would give this eight and a half capsule toys out of ten. It may not be a perfect anime, but I feel like it's it's still very well written, and it's very strikingly animated by Wit Studio, and the show just kept me fully engaged as each case unfolded. I think it would have worked as a contained story, like just for one season, but I am very curious to see what they have planned for season two. That is, if Netflix doesn't cancel it like it usually does with shows that are growing in popularity. But I think for anyone that loves intricate schemes that reap very satisfying rewards and just gives you that rush of endorphin, this anime is definitely for you. And that wraps up episode 22 of Strictly Anime. New episodes premiere every Monday at 9 a.m. Central. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us to share your thoughts on the anime that we review or share any feedback on our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Pretending that